We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. I'm not a cocky person. I'm just passionate. Final round. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for a new podcast partner immediately. Quarantine and chill. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in everyone to this week's episode of the Music City Audible. Part of Broadway Sports Media, www.broadwaysportsmedia.com, and excited to announce our new partnership with 440 Sports, Nashville's only uncensored on demand sports audio network that you can get right now. 440sports.com. We are going to be talking with the founder and owner, Braden Gall, in a little bit here about what 440 Sports is, Broadway Sports Media's partnership, and of course, we're going to get Braden's insight on the Titans-Vikings matchup. And after that, we have on this show, Arif Hassan. Maybe the most insightful guest we've ever had about an opposing team here. Covers the, uh, covers the Vikings for The Athletic. Has his own podcast, The Norse Code, which Justin M. was a guest on recently this week. That'll be out the same day as this podcast. So this is a great episode. We got Vikings preview week three. Before we get into that, First, let me introduce myself, Justin Graver, your host, alongside my co-host, as always, Justin Mello. How's it going this evening, Justin? I am doing well, as always, Graver, and I'm super excited to, to get into this episode. I think it was a great one. Obviously, really enjoyed our conversation with Braden Gull. And then Arif, you know, coming on and giving us some, some phenomenal insight into the Minnesota Vikings. He does great work for the athletics, of course, specifically covering the Minnesota Vikings. So this is a really, really good informative episode on this upcoming Titans game. Yes, that's our goal here is to help you guys get smarter. I know I certainly got a lot smarter tonight talking to Arif. One other thing to announce about BroadwaySportsMedia.com is our new partnership with the Heimerdinger Foundation, which of course serves meals to families and cancer patients and their families in Nashville. And they have provided meals to over 100,000 families in the Nashville area that have suffered through cancer. And the Heimerdinger Foundation has a great mission that we are really excited to be a part of now. We have a new membership level, premium membership level, it's exactly the same as our regular premium membership level. Costs the same amount, gives you the exact same access, but 25% of all proceeds from that level are donated to the Heimerdinger Foundation. So if you're a premium member of BroadwaySportsMedia.com, you can go on and switch your membership right now. As easy as just clicking a few buttons on the site, and your some of your dues will start going to the Heimerdinger Foundation and going to charity so you can help feed cancer patients and their families in Nashville. All right, let's talk about this titans game here titans beat the jacksonville jaguars 33 30 there's lots of great podcasts on the broadwaysportsmedia.com website and on the 440 sports network that recapped that game for you so we're going to look ahead to the minnesota vikings starting with the injury report for the titans aj brown unfortunately it seems we'll find this out officially on friday i think he's likely to be ruled out again for the bone bruise in his knee do you have any concerns about the Titans offense going against what we will talk about soon is a very bad Vikings defense so far this year without AJ Brown? I, I don't personally, you know, I, I think they proved um, that this can still be a, a very good efficient offense without AJ Brown on the field. Um, certainly for the short term, obviously, you know, I think the most important thing is 
they, they get AJ Brown healthy and back on the field and into a situation where he's not going to suffer a setback uh, and miss even more time. And I think this matchup against Minnesota, with all due respect to them, uh, they're hurting at cornerback as well. And we'll, we'll get into that uh, here in a minute when, when, you know, when a reef joins the show, but they're hurting at cornerback. Uh, I think, you know, this Titans passing game can still have a lot of success in this specific matchup uh, without AJ Brown. I agree with you there. And one good note on that is that Johnu Smith, who missed practice on Wednesday, seems that we thought it was just a maintenance day. I wrote that in the injury report for the website, and it turns out that that was the case. He was a full participant Thursday. I expect to be a full participant later today as well. So no concerns there. Everyone else pretty much is on track to play. We'll talk about that also a little bit later on the show. Honestly, we pretty much cover everything in these two interviews. So maybe we should just get to Brayden and then get to Arif. What do you think, Justin? Anything else to add that we didn't get to cover? No, let's do it. These were two incredibly informative uh, guests. Uh, I, I see no reason uh, to delay the inevitable any further. Let's let's get Brayden on. All right. We are super excited then to welcome in Brayden Gall, owner of the 440 Sports. You can find them at 440sports.com. You can find Brayden at Brayden Gall on Twitter, at 440sports on Twitter. So... Tell us exactly what is 440 Sports and why are we so excited about it? <laughs> Interesting question. I've been practicing the elevator pitch a lot lately. Um, <laughs> it, no, it's listen. It's a it's an on demand, uncensored Nashville sports audio network where I think people that are doing the creating of interesting, thoughtful content for sports fans in Nashville. Um, are, are going to benefit and, and have relationships with their audience without the need for, frankly, all, all the, the bigger media infrastructure that sort of weighs down those relationships. So I think the idea was Nashville sports fans have been underserved for a really long time. I don't, I, the city's grown at a rapid rate over the last 15 years. And you know, I've been here for 25 years and I, I don't think the media complex in this town has has grown with the city and the people and the fans and, and or the environment and the technology I can keep going so uh, I just think somebody needed that you know there's lots of really good people doing really good work out there and I just think that you know that that the market needed something else a little kick in the ass and I think um, along with Broadway sports media I think that the people and the shows that we're putting together at 440 sports I think is is a, 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 the way to do that and give people a different option it's not going to be for everybody but uh, I think authenticity and, and sort of just getting back to talking sports is, is what people want right now. And I think that's, the, that's sort of the goal of the company and, and the partnership with, with Broadway. Nice. And can you tell us a little bit, just run through maybe some of the shows on the network? Um, I think our listeners probably know about the Broadway ones, but maybe some of the other shows people don't know as much about. I'm glad to do that. Uh, happy to do that. Now, uh, the, the, the 440 is going to be the flagship morning show. It'll be less than 10 minutes, sort of all the biggest stories in sports condensed in Nashville into less than 10 minutes. That'll be on your phone at, of course, 440 a.m. because why not? And that that is, uh, you know, again, I think that's just to keep people up to date on what's going on because people are busy right now. If you want to go, you know, much deeper into the content, which is what I want to do, and I know what you guys want to do, uh, you know, if you want Titans, you want to go deep, you guys have that covered. If you want SEC football, I've got a show for you called The Fringe Element. It's myself and good friend Aaron Dugan, who worked at an SEC program for four or five years and can tell stories. And we're gonna have interesting guests and, and dive deeper into the weeds on what SEC football is. Adam Vingan from The Athletic is going to be my co-host on The Gold Standard, which is a podcast about the Nashville Predators. I don't think you're going to get a more honest look at the, the hockey team in Nashville than you will with that show. Uh, and then a 
a little bit of a pet project. Uh, the Lamestream Sports is is about sort of Nashville media, and and it's a again a show about shows essentially, and and business to some degree. Um, myself and Steve Cavendish, who's who's the uh, managing editor of, of the band, the old Nashville Banner, which is coming back soon, hopefully, and it's just going to be about the changing landscape, what people need to know about media and how to consume it in a better way, more efficiently. And so uh, it's, it's, again, it's going to be a little different than probably your average sports network, but we'll have a show for everybody and really excited to have Broadway sports media to be a part of that, to cover the Tennessee Titans and in, in, in as diverse a way as you possibly could. And I think with all the stuff we've got going, there's plenty more stuff planned, but with all that going on, I think there's a, there's a really nice menu for Nashville sports fans to step in, pick and choose what they care about and listen whenever they want and, and do it in pretty much perfect clarity. So um, I I think uh, that's sort of the goal. Now I'm a out of towner, Braden. So you need to describe to me and I think describe to our listeners who are maybe uh, some out of towners on on the meaning behind the name (laughs) 440. I cannot give all of the credit to my wife, even though she, she has, she does sort of deserve the credit for naming. You the probably company. you're supposed to always give all the credit. Yeah, you probably <laughs> right, right. Yes. Uh, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? Uh, is a good yeah, question right? that I've that I've learned how to answer. Married is the answer, of course. Um, and and so we we were drive we were literally re- driving down the interstate, and again, had this happened, all these forces come to work, and I and I had launched this company a year and a half ago. It would not have been an option because. 440 the interstate in Nashville has been a dumpster fire almost literally for the entire time I've lived in the city. It is the most expensive road ever built when it was built in the state of Tennessee, uh, mile, mile for mile. So you're talking about efficiency, not good work by the, by the state of Tennessee on, on the original 440. But now it's this big, beautiful, brand new interstate and, and it works great. It sort of encompasses the city, the, the 40, I-40 loop and the 440 loop sort of encompasses, encompasses the city. Vanderbilt, the Titans, the Preds, Nashville SC, everybody's sort of located inside of that loop. It's sort of the core downtown area. And, and there was some symbolism there, uh, probably. Uh, and, and, and it just sort of, you know, rolls off the tongue, I think. So I, I'm, I wanted something that sort of grounded it with Nashville and, and that people in Nashville sort of got it. And, and I think that was sort of the goal. And um, again, if a company succeeds or fails because of the, the name, then, then the product's probably not good enough. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And no, I, I think uh, the name is catchy. You're absolutely right. And I know everyone here at Broadway Sports Media is super excited um, to be a part of the 440 family. Uh, getting to this game coming up here against Minnesota, uh, you know, Titans are 0-2, as everyone knows. Minnesota's, uh, sorry, Titans are 2-0, I should say. And Minnesota is 0-2, uh, as everybody knows. Uh, how do you feel this one's going to go? The Titans got a good chance to get to 3-0 this Sunday? <laughs> yes, absolutely. They're favored on the road, right? A couple points there. And it doesn't feel like this team has has changed at all from what it was doing at the end of last season, which is really remarkable considering the last eight months of our lives. And and so you got to give the coaching staff a lot of credit, uh, the team leaders a lot of credit. The defense looks totally different. Certainly was was apparent against Jacksonville on Sunday, <laughs> but it's also the NFL and and Minnesota has some dudes if they ever wanted to show up. And so I, it, the old. The person who's lived in Nashville since before the Titans have been here and has watched almost every game, you know, since high school, that person wants to say, of course, they go up to Minnesota and get beat. Like, of, co- of course, that's how they play. And that's the I really hope that that's the old Titans offense and the old Titans identity and the old Titans philosophy that we really can kind of put to bed a little bit because you've got a new coach. 
you've got a new identity, you've got a new philosophy, you've got new ownership, you've got new uniform, like everything is new. And, and this is one of those games, Minnesota's absolutely reeling, but teams in the NFL that are on their heels are generally really dangerous. And they've got a lot of people out, but they, they have some guys and, and they can, again, the NFL, the talent gap is so small between the best teams and the worst teams. You can, you catch somebody on a bad day and they'll, they'll beat you bad. So it, it's all about the coaching staff and staying focused and, and mentally tough. Uh, they look like they're relatively healthy. I know some guys were out on Wednesday, but by and large, most of those injuries are, are small. Uh, they they should be favored to go up there and win, but it's the NFL. It's why you play the games. I want to take us back really quick to 2016 when the Las Vegas Raiders started by allowing, I think, the most the most passing yards ever through two weeks or something like that. And the Titans had them in week three that year. And it was like, wow, the Titans should be able to pass all over this team. They've allowed the most passing yards <laughs> through two weeks of any team in NFL history. And the Titans lost that game 17 to 10. And Is as I look Andre here... Johnson pass interference call? Is that, that correct? Uh, yeah, I think that might have been that game. Um, yeah, sure. what, a, what a rough outing that one was <laughs> with Harry Douglas leading the way. Um, Harry Douglas, two catches for 20 yards. Andre Johnson, zero catches for zero yards that day. Um and now as I look at the, the just the general NFL stats here, Minnesota is third worst in the NFL in total yards. They're the worst team in the league in terms of passing yards through two games. It just seems to me that whenever, this is to your point, whenever an NFL team is reeling like this, changes, vast, big, sweeping changes are made to, they're like, that didn't work clearly for two weeks in a row. So we, we kind of joked about this off air, Justin and I, but seems like the game where Kirk Cousins, who again, fewest passing yards in the NFL, comes out and just gets right on track. And the Titans secondary didn't look like they were very equipped to stop a young Gardner Minshew and a young Jacksonville receiving core. Granted, all those players are pretty talented. We don't really know a whole lot about how good they are yet. They look pretty talented, but they're so young that that's my biggest concern going into this game is Stefan Diggs is gone, but Adam Thielen is a very good receiver Kirk Cousins is not necessarily a very good quarterback, but he can be a good quarterback. Gary Kubiak is a coach with a incredible track record, not to alarm Titans fans out there, but <laughs> there are definitely some watchouts and some concerns. And I guess when you start being a good team, every team, every game feels like a trap game. But is this a trap game for the Titans with uh, Pittsburgh Steelers on the look ahead week four, big inter-conference matchup, whereas this NFC game may not hold as much importance when it comes to the playoff race? What do you think? I mean, I'd like to think that professionals in, in, in American athletics don't have trap games. Like you get paid millions of dollars not to, to overlook an opponent. It's part of your job. But I, I agree with your premise that when things aren't working, these these guys in the NFL, man, they, they are so good at, at completely changing what isn't working and, and going after something that they think will. And Kirk Cousins, can they, they'll sling it around with him. And especially if you look at the way the Titans have played on defense so far. And it's not just... You know, the athletic, I, I do think Jacksonville's receivers are, are very, very talented. LaVisca Chenault and Chark and these guys, these guys are really athletic. And I think that's different. Gardner Minshew gets the ball out so fast. That's all really important stuff. The, the problem is, is the pass rush combined with the injuries in the secondary. That's what my concern would be if I'm a Titans fan is sort of packaging those things together. Jadavian Clowney and Harold Landry are playing ridiculous numbers of snaps you can't ask Harold Lander to play almost literally 100 percent of the snaps every every week and expect him to be coming off the edge 
at the same rate as he normally does. Clowney's playing up 80% of the snaps. Vic Beasley back on the field. What does he give you as far as depth in pressuring the quarterback? I think the Titans are 22nd in the NFL in pressure rate right now. The Vikings are actually worse, so that's good. That's the good news for the Titans fans. They're not pressuring anybody either without Daniel Hunter, but if you're not pressuring the quarterback, Malcolm Butler, what's he, what, what's the quad look like for Malcolm Butler sort of nursing that right now? Um, you know, Chris Jackson banged up a little bit, didn't have practice, wasn't practicing on Wednesday. You know, Dory Jackson's not in the game. Like what, what does the secondary look like with combined with the pass rush against a coach and a quarterback that, you know, are going to change their plan. So that's the, that's sort of the, the equation that I would be concerned about. The good news for Titans fans is that if you stick with the equation on offense, it doesn't feel like that can be stopped right now, even without AJ Brown. So I think that's, that's sort of the interesting part of this is, is it, can you continue to take advantage? Like, I, I don't think falling off your back foot, throwing teardrops 38 yards is how you can survive in the NFL. Like things are going your way when that kind of play works. It's a phenomenal play, but it's not a play you can live off of every single drive. And so, you know, what is the offense? I, I, I don't have any concerns about the offense being successful. It's more about what does Minnesota do to change up the game plan on, on, on their side of the ball on offense and attack a team that's not pressuring the quarterback that might be a little banged up in the secondary. What does that look like? And that's where NFL coaches make a lot of money to, to, to make those adjustments. And to your point about things going your way, right now the Titans are one of three NFL teams to not turn the ball over through two weeks. The other two teams are the Green Bay Packers and Kansas City Chiefs. All three of those teams have pretty good offenses, and I would say a good veteran. Well, Patrick Mahomes is not a veteran, but he's the best quarterback in the league. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is a great veteran. I think once you win a Super Bowl MVP, you count. You're automatically, (laughs) you're not young anymore. Um, Meanwhile, the Vikings have turned it over four times. They've only taken it away once. This is a pretty big glaring stat to me is that the Titans are just the way it sorts. Second, tied for second in the NFL in turnover differential. The Vikings are tied for second worst in the NFL in turnover differential. Most of the time, I mean, super small sample the size of two games. That's kind of a fluky thing. You know, balls bounce random ways like fumbles and even tipped interceptions like Christian Fulton's interception in the last game. And also Harold Landry's like those are both off tipped passes that could have landed in anybody's hands. They just happened to land in the defenses. That would be a place where I would be concerned that if anything's going to go off the rails for the Titans in this game, it's probably in that department. Yeah. And, and that's probably also the statistic of all the stats that are skewed because it's only two weeks. So like I'll clear my throat here. Everything is, is sort of skewed and and taken with the um, umbrella lens of it's only two weeks. It's only two weeks. It's only two weeks. So you have to sort of think about it that way. But of all the stats that are skewed because it's only two weeks, turnover margin and turnovers is probably the biggest one because you could have one game change. You could go from first to last and with one game and vice versa. And, And, in theory, and I think, again, you can double check the numbers on this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that fumbles over time land at 50%. Over time, a longer, as, as time goes on, your, your recovery rate of fumbles is going to be about 50-50 for both teams. And so those kinds of things, and was it, was it last year or two years ago? They all run together at this point where the Titans had fumbled like 11 times and recovered every single one of them or something like that. The first like 11 fumbles of the year, nine fumbles of the year. And that's just an astonishing that lets a massive statistical outlier. Like it's just not how it's gonna how it's gonna right. happen normally. So that type of stuff tends to swing back towards the the, the average. Um, I, I don't. That's that's like sort of trying to predict that though is almost impossible. Yeah. Like you just can't. You know, you stick with game plan, strategy, tactics. You know, execution. 
penalties, discipline, kicking, <laughs> right? You know, you stick with all that stuff first, the turnover stuff. Like if you have a day where Derek Henry just fumbles three times, like what are you going to do? Like you just practice and you hold on to the ball harder next time. Like I don't yeah. can't really do anything about that. You know, like it's just sort of one of those things as a fan, you just have to sort of take with a grain of salt. And that's why the NFL is what it is. 16 games. Anything yep. can happen any week. Yep. Brayden, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everybody where to find you again and where to find 440 Sports? Absolutely. Uh, 440sports.com is the website, at 440sports on Twitter. I'm going to throw a lot at you here. At 440sports on Facebook, at 440media on Instagram. You can follow me at Braden Gall. Uh, and of course, uh, just like rate, review, and subscribe to everything. Just all the things, all the pods, uh, all the Broadway sports stuff, all the 440 stuff. Uh, we got Vandy stuff in there too. We got all kinds of stuff for you. So just uh, rate, review, and subscribe to everything and su- support uh, some, some media doing good work in this town and trying to bring really good, original, thoughtful content to the fans that, that love their sports in, in Nashville. Well, thank you so much. And everybody out there will definitely scroll through every podcast, hit five stars, give it that five-star rating. <laughs> Thanks so much to Braden again for joining us this evening. Really great to learn more about 440 Sports and to get his insight about the Titans-Vikings matchup. Lots of great points he made there. Let's move on now to our next guest. Very thrilled and excited to welcome in Arif Hassan, covers the Vikings for The Athletic, Minnesota, and you can find him on his podcast, The Norse Code, which Justin Mello was actually a recent guest on to talk about this upcoming matchup as well. Thanks so much for your time tonight. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? We are doing well. We are recording this on Thursday evening. Thursday Night Football is on in the background, so... We will be talking some football through the football here. Justin, how are you tonight? I I can't complain, man. You know, out here in uh, some great weather here in Toronto today, so I, I certainly can't complain. It's not snowing yet. Uh, much to uh, probably, you know, you, you won't believe me, but it's not snowing here yet, so. <laughs> no, I think it's always snowing in Canada, dude. <laughs> All right, let's get into this game a little bit, talk about the Vikings. We're going to get the inside scoop from uh, someone who covers them very closely and does a terrific job, by the way. If you don't know, you should follow Arif at Arif Hassan NFL. That's A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N-N-F-L on Twitter for some really great stuff, film breakdowns and all the inside stuff there, not just on the Vikings, but NFL in general. So first, I want to get started here on the injury front. What can you tell us about what the Vikings are going through? I know they've been pretty banged up, got some key players on IR after losing a bunch of guys in the offseason. Where do they stand right now? Going through is maybe the best way to put it. They're <laughs> going through a lot. Uh, so uh, the most recent move was to put Troy Dye on IR. He's a backup linebacker. The only reason that's important is because two days prior, Anthony Barr was put on injured reserve, and he's going to be out for the season. Um, we don't know how long Dye is going to be out, obviously at least three weeks. Uh, and so that's a primary linebacker, a backup linebacker, uh, and uh, and the, probably the backup to that guy, uh, Cameron Smith, uh, is out uh, is out for the season because – when he tested positive for COVID-19 back in the summer, um, he got um, a chest scan and that uh, revealed that uh, he needed open heart surgery. Uh, and so, yeah, he's out for the season two. Uh, it actually, it, it saved his life. It's, it's a remarkable story. But uh, that, from a Vikings perspective, puts them pretty thin at linebacker. Their first backup, Eric Wilson, is still available. But, um, you know, when they're in base, they're just not going to have 
you know, people out there. So it's going to be uh, Eric Hendricks, Eric Wilson, both of whom are coverage specialists more than anything else. If you watch Eric Hendricks against the Colts, you can kind of see what happens when a guard gets on him. Uh, <laughs> so uh, there, there are some issues there. And then uh, they ended up signing Todd Davis from the Broncos, uh, who I imagine is going to be their base linebacker against run packages. And that's just at linebacker, cornerback. Um, they're, uh, Potential starter Cameron Dancer, he's been rotating with Jeff Gladney, uh, the other rookie from that draft class. Um, Cameron Dancer's out. Uh, I think he's just going to be missing the game. We don't know yet with a rib injury. He missed last game, which is why Jeff Gladney got so many snaps. Uh, Mike Hughes, starting a corner who actually had a pretty good game against the Colts, has a neck injury. Uh, we think he's going to be out. He did not participate in the last two practices either, uh, which means that the only starting corner um, from the beginning of the season is Holton Hill. Um, but, you know, they've got a first-round pick in Jeff Gladney, uh, and I see through the horns up. Uh, and his, <laughs> actually, his Texas teammate, Chris Boyd, is probably going to uh, end up um, playing. So it's going to be an all-state uh, of Texas uh, cornerback group with, uh, with Gladney, Holton Hill, and Chris Boyd. Um, right. So that's kind of what's happening on the injury front on defense. Of course, they lost Michael Pierce um, to the opt-out clause uh, that the NFLPA uh, negotiated. So there's no real answer at nose tackle either. And then, of course, at edge rusher, Daniil Hunter is still on IR. Uh, so that's what's happening on defense. Uh, on offense they're missing uh, starting guard pat elfline which i think most vikings fans would have told you not a big deal he kind of sucks but they found out why he's the starter uh against the colts when deforest buckner uh kind of baptized drusamia into the nfl um that was not pretty um so that's kind of the what's happening there um as far as i know there's no more offensive injuries but you know the world surprises us yeah, right. and it seems like the world is certainly surprising the Vikings quite a bit right now on that injury front. You know, we we talked about this on your show the other day on the Norse Code um, that, you know, both teams were how they were looking with the injury report on, on the Wednesday. But on Thursday, obviously, this being Thursday evening, it seems like they've gone in opposite directions. The Titans have gone significantly healthier uh, than the Wednesday report uh, insinuated. And I, I had mentioned to you I thought a lot of that stuff was maintenance days, and it appeared that it was, right? John Smith returned today to practice in full. Malcolm Butler got in a limited session. Uh, Dennis Kelly, I believe, was back, got in a full session. Vic Beasley, Darrington Evans. So it appears that the Titans are kind of trending in the right direction for this one, uh, but the Vikings don't seem to be getting any healthier. Uh, no, and uh, I just realized that the Chris Boyd, the corner who is going to be the potential starter, uh, he did not participate in today's practice with a hamstring injury. So uh, they might uh, be down to Mark Fields. Who else is left on this roster? <laughs> <laughs> Two weeks in only. It's got to be Mark Fields. And the problem with Fields, um, aside from the fact that he's like the seventh cornerback, which is itself kind of indicative is that he's primarily a slot guy like he's a super athlete right so uh you know there there are some opportunities there for uh you know matchups but um he's primarily a slot guy uh so you're down potentially dantzler you're down potentially um mike hughes uh and uh and and then you're left with without chris boyd Man, that's I remember uh, a couple of years ago when uh, when the Vikings were forced to start Marcus Sherrill's against Kelvin Benjamin, um, which is maybe the most hilarious wide receiver <laughs> cornerback matchup. I, and Marcus Sherrill's won it, too, which I think tells you a lot about Kelvin Benjamin. But <laughs> um, Benjamin yeah. was playing the wrong position in his defense. He should yeah. have been on the O-line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it, it might be it might be one of those situations where you've got, you know, Corey Davis lined up against somebody that they signed like a couple of days ago. Well, it's, it's gonna, it'll be interesting to see how the Titans choose to attack this because, 
you know, earlier you said, well, they got a couple of coverage linebackers. At the same time, that sounds like music to Derrick Henry's ear. You know, and then on the flip side, it sounds like there's also some potential uh, for them to exploit some matchups. Uh, yeah, in the past too, ma- too many well. weaknesses to that's how the Vikings will get you. It's choice paralysis. <laughs> Don't know which place to call. They're all right. so appealing. <laughs> um, I want to move over to the offense really quick and talk about Kirk Cousins here, who struggled in week two. And yeah, regrettably, ask, he's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask, uh, I. If we look at just like basic NFL counting stats right now, the Vikings are near the bottom of the league in almost everything. I think they're the only stats they're not in the bottom five, bottom five are bottom three is points per game and rushing yards per game where they're twentieth in each. So it's pretty interesting that a team that went to the playoffs last year. Now, granted, they lost a lot of guys in the off season and they obviously are dealing with massive injuries, but not just being 0-2, but statistically one of the worst teams in the NFL. Is this indicative, Kirk Cousins' performance included, of a team that's just dealing with injuries, or is this part of going through a transition of this is kind of a retooling year for this team despite having you know, what many people would consider a great coaching staff that you, you might think wouldn't need a year like this? Right. Um, so, I, well, I think there's a couple of things at play. I think the first is um, it, it, was, it was important that you emphasize counting stats. The Vikings have also run the fewest plays in the league. Uh, and so they have fewer pass attempts and fewer running attempts. Um, so the fact that they're not dead last in rushing yardage, I think, tells you a lot about how efficient the running game has been when they've had the opportunity to run the ball. But uh, in the third and fourth quarters, uh, win probability has dipped below 5%. Um, actually, I think in both games, win probability dropped below 5% for the Vikings at the end of the second quarter, so before halftime even started. Uh, and so that's not really a time that you have the ability to run the ball. So um, there's that for the rushing totals in general. Like you wonder why Dalvin Cook only has 29 touches. It has nothing to do with the run pass balance, everything to do with the total number of possessions. And that's both an offensive and defensive problem. Can't get off on third down on defense, cannot convert first downs on offense. You know, a lot of people will talk about time of possession and how to solve it. The easiest way to solve time of possession is to get first downs, right? And so uh, they haven't been very efficient at doing that. There's a tiny amount of that that has to do with uh, with play calling. Like, you shouldn't be running out of third and nine, especially with your backup running back. That's not going to get you a first down. Um, so, you know, there's, some of that's that. Um, but some of that just has to do with, um, like you said, the performance of Kirk Cousins. Um, so Cousins uh, is... Uh, certainly a quarterback that requires a lot of structure. He's very poor improvisationally. What's really interesting is that against uh, the Packers, he probably showed more improvisational capability than we've ever seen from him. Scrambled uh, four times for three first downs, um, all for, I think, 10-plus yard gains or something like that. Which First play of the pretty- game. He like kind of had to scramble out and hit hit a receiver, right? Yeah, no, it's 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 kind of wild. You know, you don't really see that from him. Um, but you, it's just that that individual stuff is good to see. But knowing that he's somebody that I think more than any other quarterback in the NFL um, follows kind of like an if then kind of play progression is not all that interested in knowing that he's got you know this matchup like oh it's you know Adam Thielen versus this guy I can just trust Thielen. If the play progression tells him that the receiver's not open, he's probably not going to that guy, which is how he ends up throwing to Tajay Sharp on fourth and three deep downfield. Um, the fourth receiver, you're familiar with Tajay Sharp, the fourth receiver on the roster, right? Unfortunately, uh, we are. Right. Um, 
And the, the only team he's played well against is the Vikings. I wonder why they signed him. But, <laughs> um, you know, fourth and three, they go to their fourth receiver um, because the progression of the play, it tells you that, right? There were the, Both Adam Thielen and, and Tajay Sharp had one-on-one matchups. Uh, and in that case, you think, hey, well, maybe you should probably target Thielen. But the safety is shaded over, uh, is shaded over to, uh, to Thielen's side, right? And so Kirk Cousins sees that. He knows that by the textbook, that means you go to the other receiver. And by the textbook, he's correct. But, you know, it's Adam Thielen and Tajay Sharp. You know, who's going to convert that one? Uh, and so, you know, that, that kind of stuff just continues to happen. And for a quarterback like that, uh, I think preseason and offseason is more important for him than it is for other quarterbacks. Because even when you think about some of the most structured quarterbacks in the NFL, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, you know, Peyton Manning, they all have improvisational capability. We just don't do a great job recognizing it because it's not, you know, with their legs, right? But they've got a a really great capability of figuring out what play they need to audible to. They've got great capability in figuring out how they want to make moves in the pocket to whether or not they want to extend the play, sit on the play a little bit, whether or not they want to hitch, how they want to modify the way that they're going to throw, how they're going to throw the timing of the throw and all that without, you know, a textbook telling them what to do. And I think Cousins is closer to that kind of robo quarterback than maybe uh, almost any other quarterback in the NFL. And so when he, when he doesn't get that offseason, this is this is one of the products of that. In addition to that, he's just been inaccurate. I wish I could tell you his base is off or that his shoulders are tight or whatever. I don't have a reason. I have no idea why he's this inaccurate sometimes. Um, so that's another problem. Um, other receivers, you know, a lot of people will say, well, Cousins is a guy that's like pretty dependent on a supporting cast. And I think that's very true. Uh, and the supporting cast is, has gotten a little bit worse without Stephon Diggs. But when you take a look at the receivers uh, on the All-22 and, and try to figure out whether or not they're open, um, they're not doing a remarkable job. Even Adam Thielen, I feel like, is underperforming in, in the respect of just getting open. But they're not doing such a bad job that Cousins doesn't have options on these plays, that he shouldn't be you know, more efficient. It really just feels like this receiver core is a little bit below average at getting open. Uh, and so that would, you know, in theory, mean a little bit below average in terms of production. But that's not what's happening. Um, maybe his yards per attempt is about league average, but... His interception rate is through the roof, uh, and, uh, and and that's not just chances. It's not just because he threw a Hail Mary pick. Um, there are also two dropped picks that, you know, aren't counted in the stats, right? So um, his, uh, his interception rate is the highest in the league, and then you take a look at a measure like Pro Football Focus's turnover-worthy plays, which also counts fumbles, which he doesn't even have any of, right? Um, he leads the league in turnover-worthy plays at the quarterback position, right? I think Carson Wentz is second, and that's because he just keeps fumbling the ball every time he gets hit, right? So um, that, I mean, that's pretty alarming. You can't win time of possession if you're just giving the ball away like that. So a lot of that has to do with Cousins. He has to individually get better. I've had my own critiques of the play calling. I think that that's all secondary. I've had my own critiques of the receiver core. I think that's secondary. I have my own critiques of the offensive line. The offensive line's not performing well. But if you only look at Kirk Cousins in a clean pocket when there's no pressure, he's dead last in passer rating. So, yeah, a, a, a better offensive line would help. There's no question about that. But that's clearly not attacking the right problem. Arif, I'm going to go on a little bit of a limb here and say you're not super high on this football team. <laughs> so I just so the reason I was able to go off uh, on on all of that is because I just submitted a piece over at the Athletic about how to turn the team around. Actually, I think 
the, the, there's still an opportunity for them to make the, despite everything I just said, I think there's still an opportunity for them to be able to make the playoffs. 538 says they've got about a one in six chance. Um, if you take a look at O2 teams generally, how they've done uh, since the since the 32 team league was instituted, um, about 11% of them would have qualified for a 14 team playoff. That's about a one in nine chance. So the Vikings have probably somewhere between a one in six and one in nine chance of making the playoffs. And that's enough to, to continue trying to make the push instead of just committing to a tank. And I don't even know what a tank looks like when you've got a, a you know a quarterback with this contract and a coach that has never even heard of the word tank right so uh, like can you imagine telling mike rabel to tank i feel like it's the same thing um so uh it, i i think that there's some opportunities here and i think cousins is coming off you know he's coming off the worst game of his career statistically probably one of the worst games of his career on film um at least in the nfl uh and i think that that's not going to repeat itself i think um, he's unlikely to continue this level of poor performance going forward. Uh, I think he's going to get a lot better. I don't know if he's going to get better enough, right? That's, you know, the, the big question. But um, I think you're probably going to see a quarterback that isn't playing at, you know, league bottom rates of turnover-worthy plays. Um, and I think you're likely to see a quarterback that is probably going to be more accurate. I think he was like two of eight on deep throws. He was the best deep throw passer in the league last year on a percentage basis, depending on how you play with the minimums, because technically I think it was Jimmy Garoppolo, but he like threw deep like four times. I don't know if that counts. Um, so, uh, you know, aside from that, um, you know, he was, he was maybe the most accurate deep passer in the league. Um, it helps having somebody make you accurate like Stefan Diggs, who's such an excellent deep ball tracker that if he's throwing it off, it'll end up becoming catchable because he knows where that ball is going to be. But um, still, he's a more accurate deep thrower than what we've seen. Um, you know, he actually is also uh, up there, not a league leader, but he's up there in in big time play percentage. The other PFF stat that's kind of interesting in terms of like the volatility of quarterbacks. Um, some of those passes have been dropped, but some of those passes, um, you know, could have could have made a big difference for the Vikings um, had they not come on otherwise empty drives. Like, you know, a big play for 40 yards doesn't mean much if you don't convert the next first down. So, um, there, there's stuff there, right? Like, I think that the Vikings are definitely not the worst team in the league, right? They're 0-2, so they're tied for the worst record in the league. I, I definitely don't think they're that. I don't think that um, there aren't a substantial number of 1-1 teams that they couldn't beat. Um, so uh, I, there's a, there's a probably a decent team here um, that should be able to make a playoff run. But what we've if, if the only thing we knew about the Vikings were based off of the things we've seen in the last two weeks, yeah, they'd be competing for the number one overall pick. But that's not all we know about the Vikings. We know who those players are. They've been in the league for years. We know who those coaches are. They've been in the league for years. Um, so I expect to turn around. Mike Zimmer's turned around. Um, Vikings starts before uh, when they went one and two under Case Keenum after Sam Bradford went down. Uh, they turned around, made the NFC Championship game. Really excellent run there. Uh, when they went two and two to start, uh, the 2019 season, it looked like just an awful team. I don't know if you saw, you know, his game against the Packers and his game against the Bears at the beginning of last year. Um, those are some of the worst performances we've ever seen from him in his career, too. And the Vikings turned it around and ended up making it all the way to the divisional round of the playoffs. So this is a team that's kind of used to turning around bad starts. Um, so there's something there. It's just we haven't seen it. One thing I kind of want to focus on there is we've obviously touched on why they're 0-2, right? The, 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 you know, the Kirk Cousins struggling, the O-line and the injuries, and there are lots of reasons potentially why they're 0-2 here. Uh, but one thing I do want to ask is, you know, cause you, you did submit a piece you just said to the athletic, I'm sure, you know, a very good piece on, you know, how to turn this football team around. 
what do you see changing specifically this Sunday, if anything at all? Well, uh, the, the biggest problem with some of the opportunities for them to turn around is that they they structurally can't, right? They can't get Daniil Hunter back, right, for this Sunday just by the rules of the NFL. So, you know, that's that's part of a turnaround process is that they have to get that guy uh, on the field and healthy because Yannick Ngakwe and, and Daniil Hunter together, um, I actually, I ran the math on it. Like if every pressure is independent, which they're not, but it's, you know, useful for the, for the purposes of this exercise. If every pressure is independent, having uh, Daniil Hunter replace Afadi Odenabo uh, from a pressure rate perspective um, changes their uh, potential pressure rate from 27%, which is near the bottom of the league, to, to 33%, which is uh, about middle of the league. So um, that would be nice, but, you know, that's not going to happen this week. So what are the things that are going to change for this week? I think some of it's just going to be kind of, you know, every time a, a team does this with a quarterback that they know they have a history of production with, they, you know, quote unquote, return to the fundamentals. So I think we're going to see more rollout play action. Um, we've seen a little bit of play action in the past two weeks, especially against the Colts, not as much against the Packers. Um, but it hasn't been kind of the bootleg stuff that we're used to seeing from Cousins that he was so effective at last year. So we're probably going to see a little bit of that. He's great at extending um, plays when it's within the structure of the play. Um, you know, he leads the league in time to throw, which – you know, you, you, you hear about people complaining about the offensive line, and then you see he leads the league in time to throw. I mean, these are probably related complaints, but a lot of the extended plays don't result in pressure because they're, you know, those bootleg play actions that they do such a great job um, tricking teams with. So we're probably going to see a little bit that I like that are positive are probably going to go away just because you tend to throw the baby out with a bathwater when, when, you, when you've got to start like this. So I would imagine we're going to see more two tight end sets. We're going to see Irv Smith, Kyle Rolf on the field at the same time instead of having um, you know, those three receiver sets with Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, B.C. Johnson. Uh, Justin Jefferson, B.C. Johnson have identical splits right now in terms of snaps. So um, I would imagine kind of going forward, they know what Johnson's ceiling is. They might kind of bias towards putting Jefferson on the field a little bit more often. Um, they really like Irv Smith, and he actually uh, did a lot to – you know, threaten last week against the Colts. The problem is that he, I think he dropped two passes. If not, he dropped one pass and made another mistake that was uh, fairly critical in preventing him from getting a reception. Uh, and and I don't expect that to be kind of a consistent trend going forward. So they're going to say, hey, well, he was able to get open a couple of times. We'll do that again. This time he'll catch it, right? So we'll probably see a, a fairly heavy amount of Irv Smith offensively. Um, and I think they're just probably just going to start out running the ball, which I don't love uh, when they – Opened against the Colts, they they started with two play action passes, uh, and and it was pretty effective. Their opening drives have actually been really remarkable. You know, they're they're when they've scripted plays together. You know, they they have ten points in the two opening drives they've had this season. It's like literally every other play that seems to be a problem. Um, so I, I would imagine that. Um, maybe they see that and they keep kind of the, the process in place for what their scripted drives look like. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see that go just in favor of a more run-heavy game because, you know, the Vikings have talked about wanting to run the ball more given kind of the talent level and the efficiency of the running game, which you know, I'm a huge pass-the-ball guy. I don't love it, but I can see why you'd go in that direction. Um, the, the running game has more expected points per play right now than the passing game. So, you know, who can you blame? Yeah, that's crazy. I I want to touch on something that you mentioned a little bit earlier with uh, Cousins and the turnover-worthy plays. The Vikings are second to last in the league right now in turnover margin. Four turnovers, only one takeaway. The Titans, meanwhile, have not turned the ball over yet, and they're near the top of the league with uh, three takeaways. So they have a plus three turnover margin. It's only been two games, so everything that we've talked about pretty much you have to take with a grain of salt because of that 
tiny, tiny sample size in a sport that is all about small sample sizes. But I want to ask what you think about the that swing factor, the the idea that that will come back to the mean at some point sooner than later. Is three games too quickly for us to expect it to come back? Is that a potential X factor in this game? I mean, always turnovers are X factors, right. but I wanted to get your um, thoughts on that. Do I think that the Vikings are more likely to commit turnovers going forward given the amount of turnovers they've committed thus far and have potentially committed thus far with those dropped picks? Um, yeah, I would expect that, you know, we wouldn't expect an immediate regression to Cousins' mean. He usually does a pretty good job taking care of the ball. When he doesn't, there's usually deep passes, so you can kind of live with them. Um, so uh, I, I wouldn't expect that to kind of immediately regret because some, you know, there's still miscommunications. Like there haven't been any miscommunication picks yet, but there are still miscommunications between him and the receivers, and that always provides, you know, that kind of opportunity. Um, you know, there there's still, you know, some problems, you know, making sure that, that receivers understand, you know, where the ball is going to be on a particular play. Like when he threw that pick um, to BC Johnson that clattered off of Johnson's hands, I'm not that upset with the ball placement there. The announcers were apoplectic. They they couldn't, they, oh, you threw behind a receiver when he's running a slant. I can't believe that, you know, he wasn't ready for that, the ball. Play. And it's like, well, there's a defender right there. Like you have to throw behind him, right? So I, I don't hate, you know, that kind of play. But Johnson, you know, he's a second year player, seventh round pick for a reason, outperforming his draft slot, clearly, right? But a second year player maybe doesn't understand that that's just where the ball is going to be on that play. That's just how it works. And so if he's not ready for that, that might be more on him than on Cousins. So, um, you know, those things are structurally, they're still there, right? Those problems between, you know, having that communication, whatever is causing Cousins' inaccuracy is probably still there. But I wouldn't expect it to be as dramatic as it has been. Um, I, I would expect um, if there's a middle point between, you know, the Vikings' theoretical mean in turnover margin or turnover ratio, um, and and what they've done so far, I would probably bias towards that true mean, but I wouldn't say that we're probably going to be closer to that, right? On the other side of the ball, I actually think the Vikings are, are, are set up to be a really good takeaway team. They just haven't done it yet. Um, part of that, you know, they haven't generated a ton of pressure. They're, um, they're not quite as bad as the Panthers in generating pressure, but they're, they're not really up there, right? And so that's a little bit of it, but... You take a look at those corners, and, and, and this is the, the real question for this Sunday is, you know, who's going to be healthy enough to play at cornerback for the Vikings? But in a theoretical world where, you know, the guys they want are healthy, those dudes were remarkable on-ball producers in college. Um, I, that's just been a change. You know, uh, previously the Vikings have selected people like Mackenzie Alexander, Trey Wayne, Xavier Rhodes. Not great on-ball guys, not a ton of pass deflections, definitely not a ton of interceptions. Uh, in fact, Mackenzie Alexander had his first pick – uh, since his like sophomore year of high school, I think, uh, when uh, when he got a pick in the NFL like um, like a year ago. So, uh, <laughs> so those guys uh, were really remarkable uh, on-ball producers. Uh, I think Jeff Gladney over the last two years uh, led, uh, I want to say all NFL or all college defensive backs in pass deflections plus interceptions. Um, Harrison Hand, who uh, is healthy and may even end up playing, given that injury report, um, had a fair amount of on-ball production at Temple after he transferred there from Baylor. Uh, you take a look at someone like Cameron Dancer, who had just remarkable pass deflection numbers and pretty good interception numbers the last two years. Um, they were they were all leaders in their draft class in in um, you know ball production, uh, either uh, through the most recent year.
year of college or the most recent two years of college, um, the guys that they've grabbed. And and Mike Hughes is kind of in the same mold, not quite as dramatic as Gladney's on-ball production, but pretty up there. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for that group themselves to be able to generate picks, right? Holden Hill also um, was, a, was a pretty good uh, on-ball guy. You know, uh, I, I find it interesting because Holton Hill might have the best scouting pedigree out of all of those guys but he goes undrafted because he like tripped like eight different drug tests while he was at texas um and then and that materialized in the nfl right he got uh suspended for eight games uh last year so um which to remind you you know the nflpa struck a deal with the nfl well before that season to reduce the maximum suspension for your first time offense to four games for marijuana related offenses so like that's how much trouble, uh, you know, Holton Hill can get in uh, when he's not keeping his head on his shoulders. Um, Chris Boyd might be the only one that wasn't a remarkable on-ball guy. And, you know, he was just a, a raw athlete. They're doing a pretty good job of developing him. He wasn't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but he wasn't really remarkable as a cornerback at Texas. So um, that's about the only guy that, that doesn't have really great on-ball numbers. And then you take a look at Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. Anthony Harris may have led safeties and in interceptions last year. He did a really good job. And, and what was really remarkable about him is that his picks came against, you know, quarterbacks that were not throwing interceptions. Um, so Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, um, uh, Philip Rivers, but, you know, he, he threw a couple of interceptions last year. Um, but uh, I, I think like four of his six picks – um, came against quarterbacks that had like 10 or fewer interceptions that year. Um, so, you know, he just had um, a, a really great eye, uh, eye for the ball. And only one of those was like really fluky, right? A pass deflection off of a batted pass at the line of scrimmage. Um, and and his his that was uh, against uh, Russell Wilson. And that was just really remarkable because he was playing as a too high cover two safety. Uh, and imagine, you know, the speed it takes to for a too high safety playing deep on a pass play um, to get a pick off of a batted ball at the line of scrimmage. Like that was just a remarkable play too. So I don't even want to take it away from him. So there are a lot of opportunities for this team to generate turnovers uh, based off of the talent that they have. Um, now the Vikings are adjusting their coverages. Um, so they uh, were the league's kind of premier quarters team last year. They've been the league's premier quarters team. Um, but last year, you know, after after some struggles early on, again, there's the ability of the Vikings to turn things around. Um, they they moved even more dramatically from a cover three to cover four look, and they led all teams in uh, cover four looks or quarters looks um, on the first two downs. Uh, I think it was like some 30 percent of their plays last year were quarters coverage, which is more than anyone else in the league. Um, and so that was a big part of them being able to generate those turnovers. Now, because those corners are so young and inexperienced and, and their quarters coverage requires some complex man match rules, um, and these are all young guys, um, they're sometimes switching to play a lot more cover two. Um, yeah, and it really depends on the kind of cover two you're playing. If you're playing a Bud Carson cover two, there's probably some opportunities for picks for you. But if you're playing like a Tony Dungy cover two, there's not. You know, that's designed to allow underneath completions and force punts. And my understanding of the way Zimmer likes to do this is that you're, you're probably um, trying to get those underneath, uh, you know, receptions and, and force punts because punts are turnovers uh, to some of these defensive coordinators. And honestly, I, I kind of agree with that philosophy. So, um they've got players that can create turnovers, but now they're not really calling plays that super enable that. So, um, you know, there's, there's some mitigation to some of the stuff that I said, but I I think that their takeaway potential is there. I want to ask you one last question here because the Vikings played the Packers, obviously week one, they lost that game 43 to 34. That's a pretty big number on offense. And I bring this up because 
the Titans and the Packers, obviously with Matt LaFleur being the former offensive coordinator who kind of trained Art Smith in Tennessee, and we've heard players like Taylor Lewan on the Titans offense say that they're entering the third year of their offense, and this is only Art Smith's second year as offensive coordinator, so you can safely assume they're running the same offense that Matt LaFleur is running in Green Bay, at least a, a very similar version of it. And Green Bay's offense dominated in this game against the Vikings. So I'm curious if you think that the Titans have an advantage here studying the film to see what Green Bay did specifically to attack this defense, or if you think Minnesota has the advantage for having just faced such a similar team that they may be more prepared to stop some of the offensive concepts. Honestly, I think it's a little bit moot. Um, Minnesota's defensive game plan was very specific to Aaron Rodgers, and Matt LaFleur's response was specific to that uh, defense. So uh, Aaron Rodgers, for all of his kind of like wonderful capabilities, is uh, relatively speaking weaker against the blitz. Uh, And so the Vikings sent tons of blitzes after him. And honestly, that was probably a pretty good idea um, given their historical success uh, against Aaron Rodgers, right? And... uh, um, the the thing is, uh, Lafleur was was doing a much better job than McCarthy to adapting to this, and so uh, one problem is that you know when the Vikings send blitzes, they want to be really safe about it. It's very um, you know Dick LeBeau, you want safe pressure sort of stuff, right? Uh, and so um, they would have their receivers play off coverage. Um, well, Aaron Rodgers sees a blitz and the receivers aren't off coverage. I mean, what's he going to do? He's going to throw a bunch of quick outs, right? Like he's going to throw the fastest pass as possible that are still insanely difficult to throw. So it's a bunch of quick outs. Uh, And so, uh, you know, the Vikings really didn't adapt to that until about halftime. I don't think the Vikings are going to be as blitz happy against Tannehill, uh, in part because I think they want to maintain run discipline against Derrick Henry. Um, But also, you know, you take a look against Phillip Rivers, who conversely is one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and NFL history against the blitz. I think if you took his numbers against the blitz alone, he would have been second over the past three years in pass efficiency just behind Patrick Mahomes, um, just generally, right? So, uh, yeah, so so Rivers against the Blitz is is better than almost every quarterback is on a standard dropback. Um, so the Vikings probably saw this. You know, I, I wrote about it, and obviously they read my article and decided not to Blitz. <laughs> um, and of course, they, of course. They saw this, and, and, and they decided um, to send not only very few Blitzes, but actually to drop eight a lot of times and only rush three which I thought was really smart because they were actually still able to get pressure on, uh, on Rivers despite how good that offensive line is. Um, it just, you know, didn't work out because the players aren't uh, good. So, um, you know, that, that, was, that was a bit of an issue. But you know, they had two completely different game plans for these teams, and it's very clear that the game plans were built off of the tendencies they saw in those quarterbacks. Now, I didn't write a Titans preview this week, so um, uh, I, I can't predict what that's going to look like. Like, uh, I have a, I'm two for two on predicting what the Vikings are going to do. Uh, and in order to maintain that record, I'm just not going to write about it anymore. <laughs> um, but, that's totally fair. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I said the Vikings should blitz Rodgers. I said the Vikings should not engage in play action, despite that being kind of against everybody's core uh, philosophy. And they they decided not to do play action. And I thought that was smart because the, the Packers, the, the Vikings-Packers matchups where there has been play action, the Vikings have averaged four yards per attempt worse under play action uh, just because they they send the backside defender after the quarterback. They just do not care about run contain on the backside cut. Uh, and so that's a problem. And so, yeah, uh, the, the Vikings decided not to engage in play action. That was so, uh, they, which obviously didn't work out, but like very clearly 
they're modifying their offensive and defensive game plans to the specifics of the opponents that they see. And if that's the case, they're probably going to be looking for cues in, in Ryan Tannehill's game or weaknesses in his game that are going to define what that defense is going to look like. Um, they obviously have to take into account the fact that they're kind of they're hurting at cornerback. Uh, Zimmer always, whenever he feels like his cornerback situation isn't ideal, kind of shifts into cover two, um, which we saw a little bit last week. Um, which I do you remember Zimmer saying, you know, uh, uh, I think it was like 2014, right? Uh, he was like yelling at the corner and he's like, what do you think this is? You know, you can't just be attacked. I can find a tap two corner back at the 7-Eleven in Burnsville. Like, he's <laughs> not, he's not that, uh, enticed by cover two corners um but uh if he feels like his corners aren't good that's what he's going to do to him right and so uh we might see a lot of that and if that's the case that game plan is not going to work right you can't just throw a bunch of quick outs against cover two um so uh that i would imagine means that neither team is getting an advantage based off of the fact that they just had that matchup um it'd be i think a a much more interesting storyline if that weren't the case but i just think that the way they're designing their defenses um, doesn't really give them that opportunity. Yeah, no, look, Arif, uh, we really appreciate your time today. This has been a terrific, uh, it feels like we've had some great discussions on the Titans Vikings over the last couple of days. It's a shame we only get to yeah. do this once every four years. Yeah, this was fun, man. <laughs> yeah, we got it. We're in for the Vikings Titans Super Bowl, so we can do this uh, kind of go back and forth thing again. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that would be, that would be a lot, especially now that we, we would have sample sizes then and talk about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, we'd have a lot to go off on in that case. Right. Well, thanks again to Arif so much for joining us tonight. Remember, you can find him, all of his writing on at The Athletic for Minnesota covering the Vikings. Listen to his podcast, The Norse Code, and go check out Justin's appearance there to hear more of this content. All right, that'll do it for this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed these interviews. We, like I said, learned a lot from talking to our guests today. I think this was one of our most insightful episodes that we've had yet, so I'm pretty proud of what we were able to get here. Justin, anything you want to say before we dip out and enjoy the rest of this Thursday night football game? No, I think that covers it. I hope everyone enjoyed both of those guests. Look, uh, Graver and I are going to be here all year long. Uh, We've got some fantastic guests lined up uh, for the next couple of weeks as well. Uh, I won't reveal the names in case, you know, you never know in case we have to reschedule or something. (laughs) But uh, we're going to be bringing on great guests all year long to give us uh, a view of the opposition. So hope you enjoyed that one with Arif. And there's a lot more uh, great stuff to come in the coming weeks here. That's right. And you can find Justin at Justin M underscore NFL. You can find me on Twitter at Titans Film Room, the show with the new logo. Thanks to 440 Sports, which I actually love the new logo. I love the colors. Anyway, beautiful. yeah, it is beautiful. I love the red accent there. Anyway, sorry, you can find the show at MCA Broadway on Twitter. We'll be tweeting out all the episodes, of course. And BroadwaySportsMedia.com. Talked about it in the intro. Talk about it again really quick. Go sign up for the Heimerdinger Foundation membership level. Donate donate 25% of your membership fees to the Heimerdinger Foundation charity. Support cancer patients in Nashville. All right, that'll do it for us tonight. Thanks to our guests again, Arif Hassan and Braden Gall. Go find their work as well. Until next week, you guys stay cool and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.